the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling whites. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. It's tempting to want to stay in certain moments. No one wants to think about packing up on the last day of a dream vacation, the last poolside breakfast or lunch on the brightest, sunniest day before heading back home, probably to gray and cold and snow. Even after just a really good night out with close friends or family, it's hard to say goodbye. There's even a name for it, the Midwest goodbye. Well, I guess we should leave now. And so begins the painfully slow and convoluted process of parting ways that ends only when each member of the party is no longer within eyesight of the other. It's tempting to want to stay. Recently, my memories on Facebook reminded me of Transfiguration Sunday 2018. Then, in my senior year of seminary, I made the treacherous drive through the aftermath of a winter storm down snowy, icy roads all the way from Hyde Park on Chicago's south side to Elmwood Park in the near north suburbs. I wouldn't have missed this particular service for anything. Two years before, the commute was a familiar one as I traveled every week to my ministry and context congregation as a second-year seminarian. Grace Church was a small congregation even then, but the community was tight-knit. I have many fond memories of gathering in the library before the service for coffee and treats and sometimes Bible study, of helping with a late summer festival in our parking lot along Harlem Avenue, facilitating confirmation classes with my supervising pastor, and putting together unique Holy Week services as a part of my final project. Two years later, on Transfiguration Sunday 2018, Grace Church would celebrate its last Eucharist together. 
That Sunday, members who had faithfully attended every week and others, like myself, who had returned for this special occasion, assembled for worship. With every reading and hymn, the service moved on to its end. The last sermon, the last sharing of the peace, the last Eucharist, the last prayers. No one wanted the service to end. But I suspect the faithful members of Grace knew it was time. It's tempting to want to stay in certain moments that you never want to end. It's really tempting to keep things just exactly how they are. The Transfiguration is a story told in all three synoptic Gospels, Mark, Luke, and Matthew. And in all three tellings, the Transfiguration is not an isolated story. And in fact, I would even suggest that it really has no meaning on its own, but only really makes sense in its larger context. The prelude to the Transfiguration in all three tellings itself begins with a discussion between Jesus and his disciples about who people are saying Jesus is. And then a question posed by Jesus to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Which prompts Peter's confession, you are the Messiah. Well done, Peter. But when Jesus starts explaining what exactly it means for him to be the Messiah, that he will undergo great suffering and even be killed, Peter rushes to his defense. God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. Which in turn prompts Jesus' infamous words, Get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus continues right on in his explanation of what it means for him to be the Messiah, and even the implications of that for his followers. Let them take up their cross and follow me. It's not really going to be an easy way of life for them either. Peter alone was bold enough to confess Jesus' messianic identity Did Peter really not know what it meant, though? Or maybe he knew exactly what it meant. And so he tried everything in his power to stop it from happening. You're going to do what, Jesus? God forbid it. And then, six days later, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter sees his opportunity again. This is great. Let's build some tents and stay a while. How about forever? Forever would be great. I think Peter knew exactly what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. I think he knew exactly where the road to Jerusalem would ultimately lead. He just wanted to preserve the good thing that he had for a little while longer. Peter wanted to stay and to keep things exactly how they were. And truthfully, who can blame him? Peter was certainly afraid. Behind every desire to keep things exactly how they are is a fear of moving on, 
of letting go of what has been and stepping into an uncertain future of what will be. In the drama and confusion of the moments, the sudden apparition of Moses and Elijah out of nowhere, the thick, bright cloud covering them, and this disembodied voice, in all of this, the disciples are understandably terrified. Matthew tells us that they were overcome by fear, so very much afraid, in fact, that they fell to the ground, physically paralyzed by their fear. When we're overcome by an emotion that intensely, it's the only thing we can think about in the moment. Fear, grief, anxiety, it's got a grip on us that won't let go. It feels impossible to do anything else. It might even feel as though we're suffocating. In the midst of the disciples' intense fear, Jesus offers a surprising and gentle act of grace. Jesus came and touched them. Jesus doesn't berate the disciples for their fear. There is no get-behind-me-Satan in this part of the story. He doesn't judge them for their fear either. For as much illumination and light is present in today's gospel story, the shadow of fear is just as real and just as present in the lives of Jesus' friends. The fear was surely more than just from the drama of the present moment. After all, Jesus had just been explaining to them how being the Messiah meant that he would suffer and die, and that very likely his disciples might suffer too, just for being associated with him. What had they gotten themselves into, they must have thought. Jesus reaches into that fear to touch them, perhaps as an act of blessing, certainly as an act of compassion. I imagine Jesus' outstretched hand reaching out to his friends, huddled in their fear on the ground. He doesn't forcefully grab them by the cloak and yank them back up again, but he calmly, patiently, gently takes hold of them to help them back on their feet. Get up. Do not be afraid. It's a promise that's been spoken before. Joseph, do not be afraid. Though, in fact, he was very much afraid of what would happen to his pregnant fiance and what could even happen to him so much so that Joseph went to great lengths to contrive a plan to cover the whole thing up and to make it go away as much as he possibly could. And in the midst of Joseph's intense fear, he's met with a promise. Do not be afraid. This child, the angel tells him, will be Emmanuel. This child would grow up to embody Emmanuel to remind his family, his neighbors, his disciples that God is with them. 
on the Mount of Transfiguration, this now fully grown Emmanuel stoops down and reaches out to his friends in their intense fear with the same words of promise that have been present in this gospel story from the very beginning. Do not be afraid. I'm right here. God is with you. There is a blessing and a promise in Joseph's fear. There is a blessing and a promise in the disciples' fear. Jesus frees the disciples from their fears so that they can face the journey back down the mountain and the road that lies ahead. The story that comes next as they come down from the mountain is also common to all three synoptic gospels and is as much a part of the transfiguration story as a whole as the earlier exchange of Peter's confession and Jesus' rebuke. This story finds Jesus and his disciples in the midst of a crowd and confronted by a father whose son is severely ill. But what is most intriguing to me about this story is not the miraculous healing, but Jesus' almost tongue-in-cheek frustration directed at his disciples who tried and failed to cure the boy themselves. How much longer must I be with you, Jesus sighs in exasperation just before finally healing the boy himself. How much longer must I be with you? Now, I can't say for certain what Jesus meant by that question, and I could totally be making this up and reading into Jesus' words what I want to hear for the sake of this sermon. But reading this story and those words in the context of the whole of Matthew's gospel, those words seem like more than a coincidence. Matthew's gospel is a story that begins with the promise of Emmanuel and the encouragement to not be afraid. And then at every turn and most dramatically and tenderly at the center of the transfiguration story, Matthew's gospel reverberates with the experience of Emmanuel. Now, as Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, toward his own suffering and death, he asks, how much longer must I be with you? Matthew's gospel story doesn't end there. But with a decisive answer to that very question, on another mountain, before Jesus' ascension, in the very last words of Matthew's gospel, I am with you always to the end of the age. How much longer? How about forever? As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. There is a blessing and a promise in the midst of our fear. It's so tempting to want to stay, to keep things exactly as they are, to avoid the fear of moving into the uncertainty of what comes next. Things do change, though, and we can't stay. Try as we might, cautiously and perhaps reluctantly, we keep moving forward. But we also never 
move forward alone. While we are still huddled in our fear on the ground, Jesus stoops down to us and reaches out a patient, gentle hand in compassion and healing and blessing to help get us back on our feet. Jesus frees us from our fear and from our uncertainty of the future. Jesus frees us from our desire to keep things exactly as they are. And Jesus frees us from getting stuck when the way we've always done it just isn't working anymore. Jesus frees us for the journey back down the mountain and for the work of ministry in new and creative and reimagined ways. And through it all, Jesus promises, do not be afraid. I am right here with you.